The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome to this beginning of a journey we'll take through the Buddha's teachings on the four foundations for mindfulness, the four ways of establishing awareness. And I'll use these words mostly synonymously, awareness and mindfulness. And if I don't, I'll try to indicate that. But this journey, and uh, this is a, a very famous text attributed to the Buddha that is the foundational text for the whole mindfulness movement that's spread across the world now. It's also the foundational text for the in the Theravadan Buddhist world for the Vipassana movement that ro- arose um, over the last hundred and some years uh, in places like Burma and Sri Lanka and Thailand, where Vipassana practice became very important. And, and we trace ourselves to that lineage, teaching insight meditation. So this book, this, this text is you know, central to it all. It's an interpreted many different ways and different teachings, uh, different practices of vipassana, of insight or of mindfulness, will sometimes choose different parts of the text to, to um, emphasize that or to select that as the primary practice they do. Some people do just do the breathing. Some people just do the four elements, different parts of the body. Uh, some people will do um, mostly the mind states. And some people do the, the, the mental processes. And then some like to do all of it. So one, one approach is one that's comprehensive. That, um, that uh, it's, even though the text doesn't say this, that it's pointing to the idea that we would be mindful of everything, um, in its own, everything in its own due time, but that uh, there's nothing outside the scope of what can be included in mindfulness practice. A 360-degree kind of uh, awareness. And the way that the text is set up, and the way I believe, or the way at least I interpreted it, it, is that um, it involves a progression to uh, deeper states, or say differently, a progression to a deeper connectivity to oneself, kind of going from uh, the outer parts of ourselves progressively into the deeper, more subjective aspects. Subjective in the sense of deeper, in the sense of the source from which um, we operate and which, from which we uh, create the, the actions of mind, the activities of mind, that then spill out our, the way that we experience the rest of ourselves and the world around us. And so to journey kind of inward, and I like to think of it as a journey home, um, to home being where we're f- free and liberated. The text opens up with a very dramatic kind of promise or statement. It says that the, um, there is a direct way for the purification of beings, for the over- overcoming of grief and lamentation, for the overcoming of pain and sorrow, for the realization of Nibbana, of freedom. This idea there's a direct way, 
And um, and so one way of understanding this is what the, these four areas of practicing mindfulness are. Uh, if you want to dive right into a path to freedom and liberation, to dive right into a kind of a intimate connection to the present moment, uh, where we can find our freedom. This is the this is the direct way. Uh, there's indirect ways which are valuable. There are ways which are foundational. For example, the Buddha put living an ethical life as a foundation for this direct path. So if you jump into this direct path before we've laid the preparation for it, it can be harder. Um, so the ethic, ethical part uh, foundation is that kind of put our ethical life, um, uh, uh, have it be peaceful so we're not agitated or worried or scared or or um, feel, you know, struggle with guilt for what we've done, um, remorse. But there's a kind of ease with our inner ethical life so that we can have an ease for the, entering into this direct path. The um, And so there are these four foundations for doing this. And so what... Um, and the word foundation is kind of an important word. Some people nowadays translate it as for establishments, ways of establishing. And they are um, um, the basis upon which awareness grows, a basis upon which awareness becomes clarified, becomes uh, revealed, and becomes freed. And... Um, and so to just be aware without a strong foundation, uh, awareness probably will be scattered, it will be unstable, and, um, and easily kind of uh, disappear by the slightest ruffle in the environment or in the mind, and we're caught up again. So we want to create a strong foundation, and, um, and, but it needs a basis. And so the four bases for it that the Buddha offers here is um, a careful kind of grounded attention to the body, a kind of grounded attention to what's called feelings, a grounded attention to mind states, and a grounded intention to uh, the mental processes in the mind. I think back in September or so, I went through each of these four. So you get it, if you want, you can go back and listen to those talks um, and see what, uh, you know, a little bit uh, background or, or introduction to them. And uh, for this series here, it'll be going through in a different way, going through um, uh, more slowly through the text itself um, with the idea that the text is a practice text and we'll practice with what goes on here in the text and uh, rather than just being a textual study. And in that regard... Uh, I want to um, say that the, the uh, we say in English that it's a text, which uh, or which is a you know I, in my mind it's a kind of a written body of work, and um, uh, we're such a written culture we have been until the web when now maybe we're switching to become more oral again, but uh, originally this text was not was not composed as a literary work. But as an oral work, it was something that, because they had no writing at the time of the Buddha, or they had it, but very few people used it, maybe accountants and things like that. Um, uh, we have no, uh, 
uh, in the time of the Buddha, all the teachings were composed orally and then memorized and then transmitted from one generation to the next by passing on the memorization of it. And, um, <clears throat> and so when we read a text as a literary work, uh, modern audiences will often look for something different than what people are looking for or listening for in an oral text. Repetition in a written text is boring and puts us to sleep sometimes or our attention wanders. Repetition in a chanted text, in a recited text, um, adds a kind of rhythm to the text, a momentum to the text that it evokes because people are participating in the recitation. It, um, it taps into the places of uh, memory. It's like a song. We're going over the chorus, the refrain. Is um, uh, everyone kind of carry, is carried along in the wave and the familiarity? And there's so much in our body that participates in a refrain of a song that uh, we can do it, you know, hundreds of times, and it's still just as engaging for us. Whereas reading it a hundred times won't be. So I want to give you a sense of the journey of this text and uh, try to, and, um, and uh, that I think for the oral uh, participant in the text would feel it. They'd feel a rhythm in the text, a rhythm, kind of a wave after wave after wave, kind of coming and surging and passing, a movement into something, through it, and then to the other side of it where there's a peace, there's a kind of a freedom that's found. And that rhythm goes again, and again, 13 times in the text. And, um, and I think that rhythm is giving the oral listener, uh, the ancient the chant, people chanting it, a sense of participation in what's being talked about in the text. Uh, so there, there's a, um, um, the medium of the text itself is demonstrating or evoking in people uh, what is actually talked about in the text. And that's one of the things that makes this text quite brilliant is this way in which it is, um, uh, the very way it's organized is somehow allowing the oral listener or the chanter to be kind of experience what's being said in a certain kind of way, um, in an embodied way, in a full way. So what I've done is I have um, simplified the text um, <clears throat> so that uh, maybe I can give you a sense of uh, this repetition that goes on. And um, and uh, there's a few things, uh, key words. I want to kind of let you know before I read it, so you kind of can feel it more. First is the word abiding. Uh, sometimes translated into English as dwelling. Abiding to abide is um, is to live in a place, kind of like, as if it's your home, like you're just there, fully there. And this is a very important word, viharati, in the ancient texts, to abide. And it's uh, used in particular for abiding in uh, wondrous and beneficial states of mind. Um, and the other important word is observing. There's a, uh, the word observing in the text is used, uh, again, also for very deep states of meditation. Uh, it's to kind of have this uh, uh, non-reactive awareness that sees but doesn't influence, doesn't affect, or doesn't 
uh, is it fixated or touching or manipulating um, experience. You're just sitting back and observing in a very spacious, open way. And so there are these four areas to abide observing, the body, the feelings, mental states, and uh, mental, the mind and mental processes. And, um, and so uh, the text begins, there's a direct way for the realization of Nibbana, and it ends, observing in this way leads to liberation. Um, and um, so between this is a direct way and um, this leads to liberation, uh, there's this journey. And the, the surge and the repetition of the same phrase is very important part of it, maybe the most important part. And it's um, this, observing change abiding, not clinging to anything. So you'll, you'll hear this repeated now 13 times. There is a direct way for the realization of Nibbana. Abiding, observing the body, mindful of breathing, observing change in the body, abiding, not clinging to anything. Mindful of posture, observing change in the body, abiding, not clinging to anything. Mindful of bodily activity, observing change in the body, abiding, not clinging to anything. Mindful of parts of the body, observing change in the body, abiding, not clinging to anything. Mindful of the four physical elements, observing change in the body, abiding, not clinging to anything. Mindful of decaying corpses, observing change in the body, abiding, not clinging to anything. Abiding, observing feelings, mindful of feelings, observing change in the feelings, abiding, not clinging to anything. Abiding, observing the mind, mindful of mind, observing change in the mind, abiding, not clinging to anything. Abiding, observing mental processes, mindful of hindrances, observing mental processes change, abiding, not clinging to anything, mindful of the aggregates of clinging, observing mental processes change, abiding, not clinging to anything, mindful of being knotted up with sense experience, Observing mental processes change, abiding, not clinging to anything. Mindful of the constituents of awakening, observing mental processes change, abiding, not clinging to anything. 
mindful of four insights, observing mental processes change, abiding, not clinging to anything. Observing in this way leads to liberation. So this uh, kind of my kind of simple summation of the whole text uh, gives special emphasis to the idea of abiding, observing, seeing change, and um, and not coming to a place of not clinging to anything. So going through the process of connecting to all these things, being mindful of all these things, and in doing so, opening up to the world of change in a particular way, so that it leads us to this place of non-clinging, which is basically synonymous with liberation and freedom, Nibbana. So um, that was a general introduction to this uh, series we're going to do, and and uh, hopefully the, we'll practice with it during the 30-minute meditation and then have some teachings around it um, each of these weekday days for next few weeks. So thank you all very much.